Hi, and welcome to The Lavender Menace. My name is Sunny, I use the issue pronouns, and I am the co-host of this podcast as well as a booktuber and general internet uh, influencer, social media icon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's what we're going with. Um, hi, my name is Renaissance. I also use they, she pronouns. And I am tired. Exhausted. <laughs> Exhausted. Ready for the school year to be over. Ready for... Uh, I, I need a break. Over. Hi, mm-hmm. my name is Renaissance and I need a break. Yes. So real. So today we have... Uh, Wait, we have already our... say that we're a three-part podcast. No, we're not. We know we have it. I was gonna say that we. Oh, okay. This is a three-part episode, like every episode of this podcast. The first part being us discussing a hot take submitted by one of you, our dear listeners, or something that we saw on the internet that really, you know, boiled our, uh, or no, really, you know, pushed our buttons or whatever. Um, Chapter four, right. And then our second part of the podcast is we discuss a piece of media we consume together. And then the third part is we recommend media to each other according to what we think the other person would enjoy. So today we are discussing a hot take from a listener. This is an email hot take from, and so sorry if we are pronouncing your name wrong, but Avhe from India. And she wrote... A very interesting hot take. Let's see if I can find the top of it. So essentially, the uh, summarized point is that marriage equality in the U.S. or anywhere is uh, actually a big L for the queer community, which I love how they framed that at the top of the email. Uh, Marriage will always remain an Alice's het normative patriarchal institution, and uh, particularly in the U.S. or in any place, the advocacy for marriage equality was actually a great chance for activists to push for civil unions to be more legitimate, civil partners to have equal rights like married couples. Um, and he goes on to discuss how marriage equality and the nuclear family is actually and it's not the progressive gay dads can be parents and and lead a normal life uh hot take that um is kind of like presented and also another thing important piece is that uh towards the end of the email uh she said people in the global south consume northern gay media because there's no other high hopes for marriage equality in india for years marriage uh being the thing that everyone is taught to aspire to, it is very hard to come to terms with how not great it actually can be, especially here, India, where marriage means dowry and marriages outside of one's religion or caste means social exclusion at best. Marriage is a system that is deeply entrenched in caste along with patriarchy. So I think this is a very interesting topic of discussion. Sunny, what are your first thoughts on it yeah I definitely I definitely agree that a lot of the most like LGBT advocacy I feel like within within the imperial core really pushes for assimilation like fundamentally uh as a way of kind of 
enfolding people's identities into institutions but the thing is the issue with that is that these identities have always existed uh as a way that challenges these institutions as opposed to attempting to be normalized into it like also a important part of the ema i think is that um he said queerness births itself from oppression people derived of the same things huddled together but gay people in the west it seems don't question the heteronormativity that they are being forced into and it is possible that they are somewhat happy to accept it like the structure of marriage the concept of nuclear families all of it yeah um but but uh she also adds also i only use the word queer here to refer to the um more sexuality part of it gay lesbian bi pan and ace part not trans people trans people especially black ones go through a lot as it is and uh, the recent anti-transphobia legislation and whatnot so a lot of the critique um non-trans uh queer people or non-trans gay people who don't necessarily uh there's not a lot of it also reveals that most like western queers and like white lgbt people don't actually view uh like queer people in the rest of the world as like real people um Mm -hmm. and i saw this very interesting tiktok that was like uh there's is an east asian tiktoker i don't know their name or pronouns but this person was basically making a video being like uh it seems like queerness and being and like Asianness are fundamentally like opposed to each other um yeah. within the within the western like mindset and, and hegemony mostly because the there's an idea that we like I, well I'm Chinese if you don't know what I, if you don't know what I look like but people who look like east asian are because we are seen as these like robotic like oriental machines of like the future or you know this sort of techno futurist like oriental like orientalist like idea of who we are as these like cold removed robots right like even like that's how we are very much viewed uh in like in the west because of that because we are disconnected from the concept of like feeling and emotion like they're the idea of us being like queer, which is fundamentally rooted in like the the ways that we relate to each other in ourselves, is like it's antithetical to that identity. So like, like I think that that for certain people is like that. That's you know, for like East Asian. I like- saw our mutual because you sent me that TikTok, uh-huh. and um, I'm not East Asian, so I can't like speak on it on a personal sense and and you sent it to me i assumed as a form of like agreeing or or sharing yeah, that I was sentiment like, oh, this is really interesting because it's yeah. correct yeah and then um but then uh, a mutual friend of ours rye did not like the tiktok and posted about it on twitter and oh so, really yeah i can see i didn't see this crunching ice on <laughs> the i am right. crunching ice i have like an oral fixation so mm-hmm. yes um, um yeah what, did, what was rise opinion on like that take i will look it up but yeah they um are, are rice pronouns they them yeah 
Yes. Um, and what is their handle? I only know when they show up and they change I think, it well, I think they're private. I don't know if they're even really using, like, mm, it I, was a oh. while ago, like a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. I think their last username was like prover- proverbial chink or something. <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't I think they've changed it since then I don't know maybe but if anyway. I go in my DMs okay maybe um and find it mm. this is investigative journalism no literally okay. trying to remember our friends usernames our- <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> oh well they are private so I'm not gonna say it yeah. on the the hold on <laughs> This. oh wait oh wait they're in my dms okay got it got it yeah. got it got it okay i got it this is um, and they posted um if you go to the media tab they posted oh, right. screenshots they posted of it okay 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 let's see um it was a while ago let's scroll oh but anyways wait. oh so no gonna... did they delete it did they de- i was saying they probably delete it 24 photos and videos no, they love to tweet and delete. Right. Why would you put me in such an awkward position? Yeah, now we don't know what they're... Okay, but I think... Okay, that... well, I remember... Okay, I remember yeah. one... The I'm sure it was much more nuanced, mu- much more well-stated. Mm-hmm. But the point that I remember seeing from Rye is that it was kind of like a dumb take because one... Because uh, I think in, in the original TikTok, but we're so many degrees removed from any of the original contents of what we're about to talk about. <laughs> from my memory, my rustic memory, uh, the original TikTok said something along the lines of that queerness in the West is seen as like hyper emotional and that uh, like um, or hypersexual. Yeah, like... hypersexual and hyper emotional and being but one of the I think key phrases was like connected to one's emotions mm-hmm. and then that is what the antithesis is of toward of the perception of East Asian people in like the US yeah. or in, in the Western eye. And Rye I think disagreed with how they portrayed queerness as a form of hyper emotionalness mm-hmm. and hypersexuality as like that being what the the contrast is between those perceptions mm-hmm. um and so i don't remember all of their points and again yeah. thank you rye for deleting it uh i really appreciate <laughs> yeah, you tweeting fuck and deleting you, that rye, fuck you. um but uh yeah, so what could have been a great conversation was um, essentially lost in the burning of the Library of Alexandria. No, literally. And, That's what uh, you do when you delete tweets. Yeah. Listen, when you delete tweets, you erase integral moments of conversation. And it's yeah. really, it's really just not. And I hope all of our listeners and mutuals on Twitter take this as a lesson. Okay, learn from this. And never, never delete, delete a tweet. Any of your tweets. Especially if Sunny and I have at least wait two weeks of podcast content. Yes, exactly. And then after two weeks, if we haven't talked about it within two episodes of us liking it, you're free to delete it. But please, yes. you know I mean, what we I should guess? do? Yeah, we should we should like just randomly comment on people's t- 
tweets through our Lavender Menace podcast Twitter account. By the way, follow us at the Lavender Pod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We just just randomly comment on people's like hot takes on the timeline and be like, "We're gonna discuss this on the next pot on our next podcast." I'm just gonna start screenshotting. So even if y'all okay. delete it, well, yeah, we, but in order to, we should like we should not even ask them, but be like, "We're no. gonna like for the OP." Yeah, like, we're talking about this in the replies. No, this is so then they can they can tune in and be like, "Oh damn." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Caught you in 4K. Caught you in 4K. Anyways, back to the original really great email because I want to get in on this. And I really enjoyed reading it. One thing that I think is is super um, interesting, and and when they're talking about, oh, how uh, particularly white gays say things like, I'm illegal in X number amount of countries or whatever, and how that is flawed and ignorant um i also think it's like the involved in the pink washing and how certain places are sanitized because they're somewhat seen as like queer friendly queer friendly like Uh, israel let's talk about the pink washing of israel which is like a genocide literally what i was about to talk about is that people are like oh but palestine um is like, homophobic. Muslim yeah, is homophobic. But the thing is, That's is that like there are gay Palestinians. <laughs> like, like yeah. they and are. And they are people. blackmailed by the IOF, not the Defense Force. Because what are you defending yourself from? Exactly. The, the Israeli Offense Force are like literally blackmail queer Palestinians by like being like, oh, if you don't spy, or we'll we'll like out exactly. you to your family and- or whatever. And, and also, even, okay, regardless even, even on the topic of gay marriage, gay marriage isn't even legal in Israel. So, like, that's not even a fucking... Well, exactly. But I guess because, I don't know, they still have brunch. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the I, I have no idea why is the, yes. Israel is. Yeah. But, like, just the way that people use, quote-unquote, queer rights or... Yeah. To support or queer imperialism. Freedom, or being like, oh yeah. yeah, trans people can join the military. Are you fuck women join the military? Women do. Be- oh, I think there's a. There, I think in the Supreme Court right now in the U.S., there's uh some men's I wasn't rights done activists. With my point, by the way. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, no, but I. But this is my, okay. Wait, no, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna put a pin in this. Finish your thought. Well, no, it's just that even regardless of the West is somehow more sanitized because there are countries like the U.S. that have marriage equality or something completely absolves, one, the fact that, like, because of imperialism and colonialism, homophobia and transphobia in these countries exists in the first place that otherwise yeah. would not have without like, When have Europeans in the history of anything been mm-hmm. pro-gay and trans people? Exactly. Never. Ne- like, but in every other history of... Like basically every other non-European culture, there have always been roles within communities of people who are like celebrated for being trans, celebrated or like very powerful people who are gay. Not to say that like other cultures and communities and indigenous like you know practices and and cultures aren't like sex haven't been sexist and homophobic and transphobic in many ways because obviously that's not true and it's very it's it's pretty i think it's pretty racist and anti-indigenous to like look to to fetishize the idea of like this archaic this quote-unquote archaic past where this quote-unquote primitive past where people were more like free to be themselves because i don't don't think that's universally the truth but i think it is true that 
it's different than the it's, it's history different. and the cultures that have been erased because of imperialism yeah. should be like properly acknowledged you know yeah and and, and it's like because and of how those culture- changes should be like you have to say what it is and imperialism did bring a lot of or different forms of gendered violence and yes. violence for yes. various sexualities that didn't exist in certain cultures prior to imperialism. Right. right. And, and so when people because... say that because the U.S. has like supports or not even supports gay marriage, but I guess has like legalized it as a way to make it seem queer or LGBTQ friendly, when that completely erases the amount of violence and deaths of queer people that happen not just oh someone died and they happen to have been queer but people who are killed in these countries for being gay and yet are like seen as these heroes of queer rights and that's just not true yeah for sure and i also think that colonialism in itself is gender violence like there's no colonialism without gendered violence mm-hmm. when in the history of of colonialism and colonization has have the soldiers of the colonizing country not raped and murdered like women and children like it's just never that's always been the case historically and every every time colonialism has happened like gender violence is is entirely embedded within the fabric of it and i think a book that i really feel like a couple books i really feel like talk about this is these novels like they're fictional novels um is a quakey amezi's book the death of vivek oji which is a set in nigeria and it's about a person named vivek oji who uh you know at the very beginning of the book we know that he has died but we figure out like we understand we go back in time and, and see how he was as a child and growing up and the intimate and queer relationships he's had with different people and his relationship with like gender and being gender non-conforming which we later see and like that's the entire and and how it impacts himself and his relation to his family and his community and like it was honestly so heartbreaking to like read because it was it, it was a story from a Nigerian author um, about what it's like to n- n- be not cis and, and not straight within um, in Nigeria and like what that actually means for people but because white westerners like don't do not give a fuck about um, queer people who are not within the imperial core because this is the thing about everyone in the imperial core who um, isn't like colonized like all all like non race race conscience people within the imperial core are going to be inherently view all like people within the global south as fundamentally non-human like fundamentally just not not people who deserve you know uh like the life that they themselves live and I think it's because they fundamentally understand that the only reason why we can enjoy the first world comforts and lifestyle that we have is due to the continual exploitation and brutality of imperialism like like we live this life because we sit on the plunder of imperialism and violence and the continuation of it which is why the u.s spends so billions of dollars pumping money into the military and every profitable industry in the u.s is connected to the department of defense and and, like it's all this is all connected but because like queer people in the u.s are are not conscience 
conscious in this way and they're more focused on assimilating into uh, you know this homo nationalist idea of supposed queer freedom and acceptance quote unquote uh within their own country like they don't realize how their their quote-unquote civil rights are actually fundamentally damaging to queer people collectively which is what Abe was saying in this email uh because it's it's totally disregarding the material realities of queer people as like a collective and more so being focused on the individual rights of individual like you know privileged white gay people to be able to like get married and be perceived as normal and assimilate into the nuclear family and like i was also going to say this about about the whole like israel thing like my friends lesbian parents could move to israel from the soviet union and in israel couldn't get married which is why they they moved to the u.s too in order to be like be lawfully wife and wife you know like it's just like and also like people who uh what the I'm having, I'm experiencing a lot of brain fog today. I have no idea why. Um, maybe my period's coming soon. Wow. Anyway, okay. Renaissance thoughts? As I collect myself? <laughs> sure. <laughs> just drop me off in the middle of it. I was looking for the reading that we did for, um, that we read, not last week, but the week before for the communist reading group. Oh, Kollontai? Sex- Alexandra Kollontai? Yeah, we were, yeah, it was communism. So. It, it was about how, like, with communism, there cannot be sex work, and and yes. it, it 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 explores on that take. But one thing I loved towards the end of that reading. It, oh wait, wait, wait. it's up? called it's called prostitution and the ways of fighting it. If you look it up, you can find a free like re- it's very it's pretty short. It's just on mm-hmm. marxist.org. You guys should all go read it because and yes. don't call us swerfs, don't call us Wait, what's what's say the say the title one more time and who it's by? Prostitution and ways of fighting it by Alexandra Kollontai. I do recommend reading it reading it in its uh totality. Yes. Um and actually, like, sitting with the words and the ideas and yeah. the concepts that are presented in it. Do uh-huh. not just read the title um, or read the intro and think that you understand what the rest of yeah. the And this is the other issue say. about, like, gender, fighting gender violence under liberalism and, and stuff. It's so focused on the idea of individual rights and individual freedom that it, it really precludes the, the way of, like, what collective liberation is actually about. Yes. At the end of it, it says, like, she kind of predicts or or has theories about what sexual attraction will mean when it's no longer, when sexual relationships and marriages or or just long-term relationships in general are no longer, um, like, when the transactionalness of those relationships is, is taken out of it. Yes. When material and capital is not one of the major factors of deciding who you're going to marry or or who you have passion for, and when those things don't affect how you see other people, because even if you say that you don't care about how much money someone has or or what they do, you're always reading for class. There's signifiers in how people talk, right? People, what people look like, weight, right. style, the aesthetics that they have access to are all indicators of class, and whether people people mirroring different classes and so once you find out the 
economic or financial background of someone, it forever changes the way that you see that person, whether you admit it or not. And, and that doesn't mean that you don't love that person. But anyways, I digress. Towards the end, when she's talking about what um, passion will look like, I think that's like what like queerness is also going to change. It, uh, the listener he emailed is saying is that marriage is so like rooted in capitalism and different oppressive systems inherently that what and and they also say this is that it was a missed opportunity for different forms of family different ideas of families and what relationship and what love and what compassion and what life partnership looks like to be recognized in terms of like being someone's emergency contact, being able to see someone in the hospital, being able to take care of someone's um, possessions if they pass, which like was a really big deal during the AIDS epidemic in the United States when it was like ravishing yeah. through gay communities. And people who like, I guess you'd say like their chosen family or people who are not related by blood did not have any legal um, rights to visit right. hospital exactly to visit the people. hospital or if, or if their partner had died or or if their family member someone that they saw as a a brother or or so, someone who socially has had even more of an impact in maybe their blood family but legally did not have like who yeah. who would have actually would have known what that person wanted to do with yeah. you know how they were going to be treated didn't have any legal rights or say and i think that it is true that people should be able to determine and people should be able to have like legal markers to say, these are the people who love and understand me. And like in these situations, I want to be the primary person to take care of this, not in by blood or not even in the legal contract. Yeah. Not even in a, in yeah. a legal contract sense. And I think that is like really, really important, not only for the queer community, but also just like, in taking capitalism out of love and the home and family yeah. in general. I think this is the paragraph that you were talking about. This is towards the end of the reading Prostitution and Ways of Fighting It by Alexandra Kollontai. And she says, our task is to re-educate the work collective and bring into psychology, uh, bring, bring its psychology into line with the economic tasks of the working class. We must ruthlessly discard the old ideas and attitudes to which we cling through habits. Economics has outstripped ideology. The old economic structure is disintegrating and with it, the old type of marriage but we cling to bourgeois lifestyles we are ready to reject all aspects of the old system and welcome the revolution into all spheres of life only don't touch the family don't try to change the family um and she's basically saying like okay even politically aware oh, of that this, wasn't the paragraph that i was thinking of but that's also a good one right so where it's um she's basically saying uh, but in everyday uh, Soviet power, so she's talking about specifically like gender within the Soviet Union. So Soviet power recognizes that woman has a part to play in the national economy and has placed her on an equal footing with the man in this respect. But in everyday life, we will we still hold on to the old ways and are prepared to accept as normal marriages, which are based on the material dependency of a woman on a man. In our struggle against prostitution, we must clarify our attitude to, towards marital relations that are based on the same 
guiding principles of quote buying and selling we must learn to be ruthless over this issue we must not be deflected from our purpose by sentimental complaints uh, we must have to explain unequivocally that the old form of the family has been outstripped communist society has no need of it um, the bourgeois world gave its blessing to the exclusiveness and isolation of the married couple from the collective. In the atomized and individualist bourgeois society, the family was the only protection from the storm of life, a quiet harbor in a sea of hostility and competition. The family was an independent and enclosed collective. In communist society, this cannot be. Communist society presupposes such a strong sense of collective that any possibility of the existence of the isolated, introspective family group is excluded. Um, I will, And then later she says, I will not take it upon myself to prophesy the form that marriage or relationships between the sexes will assume in the future but un but one thing that is under no doubt Wait, is just that skip to the sexual relationships because that's the part that i was talking about uh, oh yeah okay so such sexual relationships have nothing in common with pro oh wait, wait okay so it's saying no. sexual, sexual relationships, relationships will, will be based, based on a on healthy a instinct for reproduction promoted by the abandon of young love or by fervent passion or by a blaze of physical attraction or by a soft light of intellectual and emotional harmony. Such sexual relationships have nothing in common with prostitution. I guess like true sexuality means in terms of who you feel that passion to and what relationships like make yeah. you feel that instead of marriage in the this is the only person, like, this is the primary person that you talk to, this is the primary person that you sent, spare your, share your life with, and Sunday and I have had different conversations, a conversation that ended up involving, like, so many more people than I was intended <laughs> on having, and that Sunny and I have drastically different views on marriage, just, like, for us as people, um, yeah, and... Well I tweeted that I was very shocked by maybe maybe we'll do that'll that'll be our another next hot take. take is our hot another take on hot marriage? take would just be your <laughs> no particularly your views on marriage and why I think that they are horrifying and the plot of oh, wait hold on the, but a psychological you, thriller another another yeah plot of psychological it's you it's actually you um the, the movie I mean yeah so the, or the show sorry in the book um but I really like yeah no right after. you're you watched you on Netflix and it's like goals. Hashtag goals. Goals. <laughs> no, actually, I've never seen that TV show, and I never will, and I also don't want to read the book. Ugh, it's just not interesting. But anyways, I like this line that Colin Ty says, where it's like, under communism, prostitution, and the contemporary family will disappear. Healthy, joyful, yeah. and free relationships between the sexes will develop, right? It's like, like that's so true. It's so true. Under, commu <laughs> under communism, so true, the family bestie. will disappear. It's so true. Like, and I think, I mean, as someone who's Chinese, family is so fucking important to us and the especially like elders within the family and the and and like bl like bloodline is like before everything and I think that's why I feel like my family and my parents and my siblings and stuff like w we view we prioritize the nuclear family on this level that is like it's it's so I don't, it's so unhealthy I feel because it, it really devalues every other relationship in our lives when my when like my family is like why do you care about the person they're just your friend why do you care about that person they're like they're not family when it's like well what does like 
what why does blood actually mean that why is like adoption like meaning that you're not part of the family you're not connected by blood like like that's it's so it's just very fucked up okay. oh I, I feel like another reading that i haven't done but i've heard a lot that i've heard is really good a lot of times let me try to find it. i know my friend parker on twitter talks about it a lot so let me <laughs> i know they tweeted Wait, a photo of it and was like everyone needs to read oh. this book especially white queers white queers particularly white cis queer people so much work to be done so abe said white queer people in the u.s are basically just like quirky straight people <laughs> yeah that was really funny yeah it's true because they don't really see themselves they, they 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 care so much about wanting to i don't know well, wanting to white be seen people- love they want to divest themselves from whiteness all the time you, yeah. but the thing is that that you can't it's impossible yeah. you will always benefit from whiteness you will always benefit from being white particularly in the empirical core empirical imperial core and you will always benefit from being cis and white people to divest themselves from whiteness whether that be via womanhood which we know does not work um whether that be through queerness or neurodivergencies it's like, but at the end of the day, you are still white. You are still white. And like uh, us to living in that in the yeah. United States, you are still white and you are still American. Like, yeah. no, no matter what other identities you have it, in society w- throughout your life, those are always going to be at the forefront. You are never going to be free from that. And people who try and separate themselves from that or, or try and like, use different identities as like a balancing scale of oppressed versus privileged or whatever or something is like quite quite annoying to me actually because it creates like more violence people who are uh white and and do their own white thing like 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 a taylor swift for example (laughs) like taylor swift is unapologetically a white woman and knows (laughs) that who she is as a white woman the things that she does is white woman behavior and not like Uh a karen and like calling the cops on people way but in uh in just uh you know in the filters and the way that she dances and the phases that she's gone through yes you know that is very white woman behavior that to me is a lot less scary and terrifying yeah. Then uh, a woe Vicky, for example. Or Not woe Vicky! <laughs> are fully white and try to divest themselves from whiteness. By uh, quote unquote anyway, acting black, whatever yeah, the fuck that or, means. Or people who are like, I'm not white, I'm gay. It's like, well, babe, that doesn't work. Yeah. Or, you know, people oh, this are is like, book- I'm not white. I'm from a middle class family and I've ADHD. <laughs> like, I'm not white. I'm from a middle class <laughs> like, it, It's those kinds of things. I'm like, you don't get it. But people yeah. are just who are white and they're okay with being white. Those people can go on living their lives. Yes. Yes. Well, this anyway, is the book I wanted to talk about. And the, it was, 
I haven't read it yet, but I really need to. It's called Against Equality, Queer Revolution, Not Mere Inclusion. And it's edited by Ryan Conrad. I think it's a collection of essays. And and this is what the Goodreads uh, uh, snippet for it says. Does gay marriage support the right-wing goal of linking access to basic human rights like healthcare and economic security to, inher- to an inherently conservative tradition? The answer is yes. Will the ability of queers to fight in wars of imperialism help liberate and empower LGBT people around the world? Does hate crime legislation affirm and strengthen and historically anti-queer institutions like the police and prisons rather than dismantling them. The Against Equality Collective asks some hard questions. These queer thinkers, writers, and artists are committed to undermining a stunted conception of quote-unquote equality. In this powerful book, they challenge mainstream gay and lesbian struggles for inclusion in elitist and inhumane institutions. More than a critique, Against Equality seeks to reinvigorate the queer political imagination with fantastic possibility. So yeah, this is a book that I really need to read soon because everyone, like Parker, like I said, my friend, they recommended a lot and their bookshelf is very beautiful um their bookshelf is very beautiful to me it has angela davis's freedom as a constant struggle the new jim crow feminism without border sister outsider beginning theory everything everything good everything you know everything i see the, everything <laughs> the 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 snippet um when it talked about like will gay people fighting in imperial wars liberate people it reminds me of the the cia like recruiting app <gasps> for the this cia one. recruitment videos the, I am a young woman of color. And <laughs> no, what was it? I'm a millennial with anxiety. I'm a millennial <laughs> with anxiety. <laughs> we couldn't stop. We could not stop coding that for a full 24 hours. A full oh working God. shift. We could not stop saying I'm an I'm a millennial with anxiety. Um, but one of those, like the in the thread, it came before that one that was so iconic. Uh, was a uh, like a white gay man and his like CIA lanyard had a tiny ass rainbow on it and he's like it brought me to tears and I'm like please get a hobby <laughs> I think he had a hobby I think his hobby was like Legos or something right um I feel like I remember that in the video but um not to diss on people with Legos I think Legos are rated like toy okay yes um I, th- I think that Oh my gosh, this is completely off topic. But were you on the YouTube site, www.youtube.com, when a really famous uh, Lego YouTuber had his house broken into and this one Lego project that he had been working on for like months was smashed? They didn't steal anything. All they, or maybe they did, but I like the biggest shocker was they went into his like lego room and just fucking batted all of the like no way that he had built for like months like it was like years worth of yeah. like and it was like the tiny ass like it wasn't like you know the three-year-olds don't truck on it like it's like it was like right. the intricate yeah like flat uh-huh. like hundreds of pieces things he filmed it when he like got home like his reaction and he's crying and like like you really feel for the guy in the video anyway yeah if anyone remembers when that <laughs> hit youtube because your reaction do you not remember seeing this at all i don't remember seeing this it was like oh my gosh i i wasn't like his subscriber but that video of like his house being broken into and like one of his projects being like completely smashed what it was it 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 sent waves it was Uh a it was a bit of a moment Uh uh, back in the Mm -hmm. youtube day uh and with that, I think that'll really totally not lead us to, but I'm going to force to lead us to into the second part <laughs> of the podcast uh, in which we, uh, we, as in Sunny and I, of course, um, 
discuss a piece of media that we watched together. This one was a bit awkward because we were doing it on Teleparty and it didn't sync. And so I finished the movie like way before Sunny did. But Sunny had watched the movie before. So we both have experience. And Sunny, this was your third time watching it. So you you have already seen it two times in completion. Exactly. Um. And the movie was Yes, God, Yes. Yes. This was a recommendation uh, by Sunny. I think last last week's episode. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, So how many of your recommendations have I watched now? Anyways, I'm going to start forcing Sunny. You you will start hearing some of the thoughts because the only thing that I think I've recommended and then we have this watched is Stella Blomkvist, which... May have just been an excuse for me to rewatch the series, but right, 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 right. Okay, so yes, God, yes. If you wanna, so this movie is set in the early two thousands, and this like really sheltered, naive Catholic girl who goes to Catholic school, uh, gets this like horny message on AOL, AOL Messenger yeah. <laughs> on her family computer. <laughs> oh, and there's also a rumor that she like slept with this guy at her school. But she not didn't. just slept because it's it's a yeah. running joke in the movie that the rumor is she tossed his salad and she doesn't even know what that means. But everyone yeah. thinks that she's that she's lying about not knowing what it yeah, means. Yeah, exactly. So she's genuinely very naive and confused and doesn't know anything about sex, but uh, also incredibly horny. Yes. Yes. Like medically, terminally horny. <laughs> terminally <laughs> horny. I mean, she is like a teenage girl, like at a Catholic high school. Like this, the sexual repression is real, you know. Like, and she yeah, goes. I'm not saying this... she's wrong for her literally out of the <laughs> stratosphere levels of horniness. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's it's present. It's present. No, in literally, the... like her seeing the hairy arm of a camp counselor at this retreat, this Bible retreat she goes on, sends her through the roof, and it's fucking hilarious like this movie is like so it's so ridiculous and funny but also realistic in the way that I feel like it portrays um teenage desire and naivete and also the ways that like teenage girls are treated in this absolutely bonkers way under the purity culture of like Catholicism and and like western ideas of Christianity of like and and these the, the grossness of how sexually invasive and personally invasive it is for adults to be just like to presume that you are quote unquote like promiscuous or like unholy or whatever and like making judgments on you for that reason like when it's like this is a child like literally leave her alone like she is a she is a she's a girl like oh my god yeah. and also even if she did you like the whole plot of the movie is that she's actually done nothing like sexually besides like i don't know accidentally look at porn through the aol <laughs> message but which was like sent to her yeah uh, unknowingly it's it's she's so innocent that she doesn't know that it's really sexual harassment and therefore doesn't react knowingly yeah. that it's sexual harassment even yeah. though we as the audience obviously know that it is but she doesn't no, because she she's so sheltered and and so entrenched in purity culture that it, it like one of the earlier scenes in the movie is talking about that they're like sex outside of marriage and outside of just one person is a sin. So like even talking about what consent is or really any any of that is so far from her mind that she doesn't really know what's happening. All she is is just a horny teenager, which like yeah. all teenagers are horny. Yeah. 
exactly and it's like the way that like the the culture of christianity and the cult of like catholicism and catholic schools and stuff um ultimately just tells you to repress everything and just like especially for girls like you wait till marriage or else you're impure or else you're unholy or else you're gonna go to hell or like whatever all this all this bullshit is just so it's 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 comical in how ridiculous it is but but also like tragic almost yes and one thing that i thought was interesting is that obviously like well maybe not obviously but if you're from the u.s and even have adjacent knowledge of catholicism in the u.s or christianity in the u.s you know that which is like uh, if you live in the u.s you have to because like cultural hegemony of christianity is just like inescapable exactly and so it, it 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 won't be a shocker that there are double standards and that boys and girls in these scenarios are treated very differently but i think that the movie does a really good job at not making those obvious i mean obviously there is with the priest but that's a different conversation but one like small detail that really stuck out to me in the film was in the beginning in the classroom scene and they're uh talking about sex and marriage and all that stuff and then one of the students asks what about sex with yourself and the priest says well can you reproduce with yourself and he says no and then one of the students makes a joke about like is that what Jesus meant when he said spilling the seed and he's like does it count if you catch it and then obviously and then the priest laughs and the class laughs and they're like oh boys are stupid but it really I think points out that obviously that student has already had uh that male student has already had experience with masturbation and there's a universal knowledge of what male masturbation means and what it looks like whereas the alice the main character she has no idea what masturbation is really and what that looks like she she gets the idea of like putting her hands down her skirt from the image and from the message on aol she wouldn't have thought of that on her own and so the sexual repression for girls in this environment is like very strict and very literal and she has a lot of like internalized shame about these feelings of sexuality whereas for men this idea of purity like they have to look for a wife who has not had sex with anyone else the idea that they themselves are not allowed to experience any sexual feelings at all is not as strict and that also is shown with the one of the first metaphors and they're talking about fucking ovens or whatever not fucking ovens but they're talking about ovens and the fucking microwave girls need to heat up a little bit conventional oven and like guys (laughs) only need a couple of seconds and girls need like a longer amount of time when alice is horny the entire time and within a few seconds she sees one hair on one forearm and she fucking (laughs) loses it so i mean like that was really interesting to me and and like Sunny said it's very hard to live in the United States and not have any knowledge or awareness of these cultures and basically yeah. cults but yeah. I don't really have that many first-hand experience to it. I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday really uh-huh. literally any Sunday I yeah. went to some church events but that's when like they were like cool and like not religious at all like I loved going on when my friends who went to church would invite me to like the six flag trips or whatever yeah and like in middle school so it was like in yeah. middle school it's it's you know you, you like I, whatever 
yeah, yeah it, it's whatever like yeah. I just wanted a free trip to Six Flags so like a very reduced ticket price and like going to birthday parties and they would like their church friends would be there like that's the closest of what I got to yeah. yeah that but there's like a there's a very big like very big church in the desert I just never attended it but like everyone and their fucking mother goes to that church yeah uh, I just never yeah. well I grew up uh evangelizing in the first grade yeah kindergarten maybe uh because you have a very different you have a I was just gonna say maybe I'll summarize for Sunny Sunny might have different views but the reason why I brought up why I don't have first-hand experience is that Sunny does have first-hand experience with uh evangelism in the United States and has like a much more she's been to like the camp that is portrayed in yes god yes in a way that I don't. I've heard of those stories. I can imagine. I definitely know that those people exist. Um, also, a lot of my... Can, in, in a way that, like, Sunny knows those people. But also, just for me, dear listener, uh, this is Renaissance Speaking, the other co-host. My grandpapa, my one of my grandfathers, is a pastor and has this theology has his theology has his doctorate in theology and teaches young pastors like men who want to become pastors they like go to him to learn and he's a great speaker in that sense that he is a good pastor he can tell a story he can speak in front of a congregation which is obviously very important parts but also he has a very strong evangelical faith as well as being my grandpapa um, and so most of my connections to church in particularly like rural America, because that's where he lives and that's who I'd go to church with when I'd visit. Like that's my, that's the majority of my relationship to evangelism in the United States is just through my grandparents. Um, and they've yeah. always lived in another state because, because they live in Montana. Yeah. And so only when I would go to Montana for maybe one maybe two Sundays would I go to church with them and besides that I wouldn't really ever go to church my parents would try we we would try and then be like nah yeah yeah um I remember going to those camps or like retreats and it was like all you know like teenagers and stuff something I very clearly remember is the camp leaders would be like if girls are pink and boys are blue there needs to be no purple going on this weekend <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah that, that, was, that was so a lot or um I, it was just like a lot the, that the conversation with the priest where it's like so how's your relationship to Jesus and she's like uh fine yeah I've been there like <laughs> so an adult comes up to you like you're going on a walk with them and they're like okay so tell me about your relationship to Jesus and you're like what the fuck am I supposed to say like what what, what do you mean my relationship to Jesus <laughs> uh and I think like the way that um and also okay I'm in St. Louis I'm from St. Louis and there are so many Catholics here I'm not Catholic never been Catholic never ne- you've never even been to mass to be honest but I like Catholicism as a cultural thing is like so prevalent here like I have friends who are in school for to become a priest like shit like that right and <laughs> and my so many of my friends abuela is super Catholic and then my family who lives in Canada is catholic that family consisting of aunts and cousins very catholic yeah um 
but I feel like I feel like like Mexican Catholicism is very different from what I'm talking about, which is like very mm. it's giving wasp without the Protestant. It's giving wasp. <laughs> it's giving <laughs> Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um lots so so I think like I was all and I remember I very clearly remember in elementary school, one of the girls who, who was in my class was maybe not even no, it's maybe middle school. She was a devout Catholic, very conservative very loud about being a republican or whatever but it's like you're 11 you don't know what republican means anyway so um i know that's what i always think of of kids who have like trump supporting parents or whatever who just hear what they say i'm like you don't even know what you're saying like you don't like i I can't be intimidated because you're a child literally but anyway this girl she i remember one time she okay so in in evangelicism uh we don't even talk about masturbation. Like that's not even a thing that's ever brought up. Like we'll we'll, we'll talk about how being gay is wrong, but we won't talk, we won't talk about like masturbation <laughs> or whatever. So oh, I remember one time I was at a Baptist church in North Carolina, which is where I grew up, um, in 2015 actually. When gay speaking of gay marriage, gay marriage was institutionally legalized by the Supreme Court, and I remember going to church at a at a, at a church at a going to service at a place I, I didn't regularly go to because we were staying with like family friends and it was like a predominantly like white southern baptist church and the preacher with his like deep southern drawl was like what america is falling from grace in the eyes of god because look at the 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 horror the the, the horrific acts of the supreme how could the supreme court allow this the sodomy and evil like the spiritual wickedness of homosexuality like shit like that right i think our next hot take should be that the westboro baptist church is actually camp it is high <laughs> camp. that is I like how they I like how they protest outside veterans uh veterans like funeral services because I would do that too like (laughs) when you see Sunny protesting with the Westboro Baptist Church do not contact me do not yeah if you see my baby daddy at pride don't don't contact me I already know exactly exactly (laughs) I think that their particularly their song parodies high camp they, they are in that is the next uh challenge on uh RuPaul's Drag Race is going to be create your own Westboro Baptist Church homophobic <laughs> parody. That's what we need. Create your own parody. Yeah. Um, Renaissance is going pee. The the pee break rotation on this podcast. <laughs> it it is quite funny. But yeah, anyway, if any of the listeners are sci-fi readers or fantasy readers or like historical fiction or anything, please hit me up. Um, I I'll, wait. I didn't say this at the beginning of the episode, but I am a booktuber. I do make booktube. The one episode season, one <laughs> challenge, and it's just. And then the panel of the judges are like the famous Westboro Baptist Baptist Church congregation. Yes. Exactly. The family. Exactly. So it's like a one family church. But indeed. Uh, oh, but something about Yes God, yes. That's a bit of a spoiler. So if you haven't watched it, watch the movie. It's hilarious. It's on Netflix or you know, stream it legally, but I didn't say that. Um and the the it, it, one one element of this movie is that our main character, this teenage girl who's been being preached at with this purity culture sexist bullshit uh, from the very priest, finds on the priest's computer 
porn that he's watching, like, at this fucking camp. She sees him watching the porn. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the short film, which I watched after seeing the full film, in the short film, Alice, uh, like, his screen falls asleep. Yeah. And he his, like, background or his, like, sleep setting was just, like, various pictures on his desktop camera roll and then pornographic photos come up when he's out of the office uh-huh. and then before he comes in she shakes the mouse before he can see it to like wake the monitor back up uh-huh. um i guess that's also a spoiler if you haven't seen but th- this is all encompassing it's the same spoiler yeah. Yeah. but in the film she sees him actively watching the porn and it's it's video porn not yeah. I, I don't know if that makes any difference but it's ex- experience wise i feel like that'd be a very different experience yeah. for the character of alice anyways continue with your point yeah and i feel like this kind of goes that i feel like this whole movie kind of talks about the way that it's, de- it's like you know the purity culture of catholicism is so deeply hypocritical and so deep we're so rooted in repression in a way that's like repression and guilt and stuff that it's like you, to feel guilty about something and to confess to a sk- sin that you may not even have experienced as alice has to do uh is it, it's like who does this benefit really like who is this sir <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> whose conscience are you are you really appeasing here it's it's ultimately here it's just a game of perception it's a game of who can be perceived as the most holy it's it's the same reason why republican senators are gay on the side and like you know do have human trafficking schemes running under them while their whole agenda is being against gay people and and family rights family rights and trying to lock up sex workers when they are the ones soliciting gay people and sex workers like you know it, it's one of those things that's like the 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 reason why it's like funny to make fun of the extremists like the westboro baptist church and stuff like that is because the ideologies that they're so rooted to and so hell-bent pun not intended on <laughs> you know, enforcing that agenda is because ultimately the spirit of colonialism the spirit of imperialism the spirit and of the yeah, the spirit of Christ, all of these things are, you know, ultimately really tied together in, in how the church functions, the church being capital C, like the, the evangelical right wingers and the Catholics and whatever, the power that they hold within society is, it's already so extreme that the parodies of it, the, the extremist versions of it, mm-hmm. I don't even feel that bizarre because to be honest most people do most christians most devout right-wing christians which you know encompass the large majority of of the republican uh voting demographic which is at least half of the united states like already believe so deeply onto the onto the notions of these very racist sexist homophobic ideas uh because uh, they benefit from them even if they ultimately still want to participate in the pleasurable aspects of it that's why they're still racist but still enjoy uh non white cultures and think it's exotic to travel to thailand or whatever like Mm -hmm. 
like they that's why they they'll adopt black children but they think that black people in their own city are like filth and that's why they hate gay people but are secretly gay themselves but they don't want to acknowledge it like it's all these the layers of hypocrisy that these institutional powers create for people make it so that the repression is as a tactic the repression and shame like that is enforced and directed towards children and the 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 sort of oh my gosh who who will think of the children these the the transgenders and the and the gays well, and the homosexuals are gonna t- corrupt our children when your actions and your fucked up ideas about sex and gender and and marriage are what's corrupting your own fucking children you know yes agreed and also it's shown in the scene where alice spots the um two like senior leaders like camp counselors and one's giving a blowjob like behind a tree and it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be like a leaders meeting or whatever yeah and she spots them but then it's like that exact counselor what's the counselor nina fucking nina she's she's the one slut shaming alice slut shaming and she got more upset about a hidden phone than the fact that she was giving someone a blowjob the entire weekend yeah like please I mean, not to make this my catchphrase, even though I say it to Sunny at least once a day, get a hobby, get a job. Like, please (laughs) do something else with your time. Because, like, what are, uh, what are, what are you doing? But that's, like, all of this, there's the idea that all this repression and all this shame and this fucking, like, burden that is placed on, she's, like, what, a sophomore in high school? Like, she's, like, 15 in the movie. Um, It's being pushed on her. Obviously, that level of repression it's going to burst out somewhere and that's why yeah. like all of these people who are like oh my gosh i'm so good and religious and holy and whatever or are actually, actually horny like, little fucks yeah are actually the some of the worst people in the movie but that's what makes the scene in the this is another spoiler we're just going full throttle on the spoilers so if you have pause go watch the hour and a half movie or the short the podcast. film not on youtube it's like 10 yeah, minutes so long. Yeah, so the scene that I'm about to talk about isn't in the short film. But mm-hmm. do watch the short film as well. That's what makes the scene, spoiler alert, in the gay bar so very important and poignant yeah. is because she's talking to someone who knows who's no who knows what she's going through and is on the other side and not in like becoming a priest or a nun, but like has liberated herself from the shame. And yeah. had experiences outside of that very insular small town where they think that, like, global morality is somehow in the pinnacle of this very small rural town in America with, like, a church of five families. And she's like, you should look at schools on the East and West Coast. And also they, they trade back and forth these, like, what sounds like ridiculous notions of sins. And yeah. the lesbian in the bar saying... um, I thought I was going to hell for eating gumdrops. Like, why would I be sent to hell for eating gumdrops? It's like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why would you be sent to hell for eating gumdrops? Like, there are real problems. They're, they're like, yeah. not that hell exists or, or this notion of punishment after death or anything like that. But, like, that should not be the stress and worries of young children just growing up thinking that they're going to be, like, damned, you know, yeah. for all of eternity. Yeah. Because they broke a little Lent promise as a yeah. child or even yeah. a teenager. Like, who cares? Yeah. And that idea when it's finally piecing together that this shame that Alice is 
feeling for the entirety of the film is not necessary. It doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't lead to a fulfilling life. It doesn't lead to anything. And when she, when it pieces together that the priest is a perv and yeah. that, like, you don't have to be, you know, sent to hell for being horny as a teenager, like, <laughs> fucking everyone else is, then that's, like, when she has peace and she's like, all of you are actually terrible. And that's what makes the ending of the film with the last confession scene that we see with the priest. And she's about to finish. And she, you know, hasn't confessed for being horny or whatever. You know, the worst sin of all, as we all know. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, actually, at the retreat, I saw someone watching porn. And then, like, describes very specific details of the porn that the priest was obviously watching. And he still gives her... 50 Our Fathers and 50 Hail, Hail Marys, even though he was the motherfucker watching the porn. And he yeah. Doesn't, like, you can see on his face that he knows that she knows, and it's yeah. like this exchange of information yeah. that's, like, underneath yeah. the dialogue. Uh-huh. But it's like, mother, that's your 50 Hail, uh, Hail Marys and Our Fathers. Like, that's your yeah. fucking... Yeah. Again, You're no just moving this guilt around. <laughs> that's your cross Your cross Like, deal with that and then she goes home and she rewatches the titanic scene that was like the first thing that she ever got horny to and i'm like yeah and like yes do rewatch that titanic scene do see you know leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet steam up a you know an innocuous like car door or whatever like it doesn't matter like yeah who cares you are not going to hell for watching titanic Yeah. Um, I mean, as a child, the reason why I was evangelizing to my peers and stuff was because something that I heard every Sunday school three times a week was, uh, and also this is another thing that, you know, growing up, like, growing up from, like, an immigrant family that is still trying to, still learning the language, trying to get a grasp on, on the surroundings, like, that's why I feel like there are so many, I feel like, immigrant cultures in the U.S. that are so, like, reactionary and so right-wing, because the idea of assimilation into the West and assimilation into uh, the, the imperial core is so tied up with Christianity and Catholicism, and so when, when you are entirely, you know, like, when you become embedded into the culture and the fabric of, like, that church and that church is actually the one that's providing you the material support the state doesn't and doesn't slash won't provide of giving you you know like we would be like my parent my parents could get free child care through our church and the church communities they could get free mm-hmm. food through the church and church communities like actual connection to other young chinese parents who were dealing with the same shit that they were through these churches like that's why people turn to these things um when, be, because we live in the empty capitalist neoliberal hellhole that is the like hell is not post-death it is what we are living right now and it's because yes. of the people who believe in hell that create this world that is so fucking hellish for everyone for everyone else and the way that the guilt of that becomes transferred and the burden of it goes down to your children like when i was being told oh your friends are going to go to hell if they don't believe in jesus you need you need to become a disciple of god and and bring in the the fish into the net uh, like so, oh my god i i'm so dead ass they literally said this every fucking every fucking bring service fish into the net. yes like oh how, my god like Can how I the, tell you the story of the apostles of jesus bringing who are fishermen bringing in the oh god anyway <laughs> i won't name any names but if they listen to this podcast one of my friends if they listen to this podcast they're definitely gonna know who they are but i'm not gonna name any names 
um, particularly in the western part of the United States, you have your number of run-ins with the Mormon community. <laughs> there are so many Mormons. I don't live in Utah, but I do live in California. Yeah. And there are Mormons. And uh, I remember, <laughs> this isn't my story, but one of my friends used to be friends with a very strong Mormon and, like, comes from yeah. a big family of Mormons. Every Mormon is from a big-ass family. Exactly. It's how they, exactly. it's how, it's how they, it's, they haunt it was like, the It was the classic. Like, whatever, everyone, all of our listeners, take a moment, picture what you think a Mormon family looks like in your head. That was this family. She went, they were, they had been best friends. It was, like, in elementary school, or maybe it was in middle school. It was in middle school. And my friend went over to the Mormon's friend's house. We'll call her Anna. And my friend is named Tiffany. So Tiffany went over to Anna's house and they were having a regular hangout. And on the whiteboard of Anna's like refrigerator said like people to convert or like families to convert. And on that list was like Tiffany's family or whatever. Yeah. And Tiffany's family is very atheist. Like she knew the word atheist and like, I am an atheist since elementary school so when she saw that her name was on anna's whiteboard of like i'm going to convert this family uh-huh. she's like hell to the no literally hell literally no. hell no literally like hell i would no. rather go to and hell it was than like spend so, time with you bitches it was so insane that like that was the goal like there was an ulterior motive to that friendship yeah. and like it was already enough that tiffany was friends with the mormons right, 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 mormons right. do not deserve friendship no oh um, god but we're gonna get the mormons on our podcast no yeah. <laughs> we interview the westboro baptist yeah redacted, redacted. We the lds leaders oh my god exactly because i grew up like culturally like if anyone asks we're protestant but it wasn't ever a thing it was very much in the like like you celebrate Christmas because that's the time when you like see people and that's like just what you yeah. do like what else are you gonna do with this the casual thing? commercialism of Christianity yeah. is what it's it's how it's so even like the idea of the Protestant work ethic or whatever it's all tied together with capitalism and imperialism even like the manifest destiny and and colonialism like sharing the word of God to to the poor heathens of the world like girl shut the fuck up like it's so oh my god and I like I've always been interested in religion I removed historical aesthetics catholic art and yeah. the stories and the institutions that come from it like in a very separate way I have been I have an interest in religion and I've always like experienced it via that but like I've never felt like yeah this is my calling or like this is something that like we do like I've been to mass I celebrated easter and like a very exciting experience i've gone to easter mass in montreal with like a literal it was like in french the 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 what is that called service the easter service was in french in an old ass cathedral done it and i think like it's interesting and like oh like this is a connection to history and like the same stories have been told over and over and over again and like all that but um uh, for myself, me, a Catholic, me having any strong ties to religion outside of that's what my grandparents do. And like, I celebrate, you know, I give my friends Christmas presents because it's fun to see them and give them little things that I think that they'll like, you know, like, I, I don't think my connection to religion will ever go beyond that. But I'm not like, 
I think uh, leftist people or agnostic people who are like anti-religion, yeah, very suspicious and very weird, very racist. Yeah, very. It's a very slippery slope to mm-hmm. go from anti-religion directly into racism. Yeah. So I don't fuck with that either. It's which is strange because so much of the very zealous religious white people in the United States are also racist. Mm-hmm. But then if you're white and anti-religion, yeah, or like anti-Christianity very easy to be racist as well for sure because the thing is is that the reason why there are so many well you know poor christian non-white people or and and just christian non-white people period which Mm -hmm. is the people that i grew up with the people that i know who are from the south people who i like people that i'm friends with my community like we were all we we as the girls gays and queers of (laughs) of the internet now all grew up and are all from families that are you know like christian either converts or because we they've always been or they found god when they were children and now they're going to do try to put push god onto everyone else around them and it's like i feel like coming from that experience and being like wow this shit is dumb as fuck which is where i am at uh is very different from just looking from the outside and being like wow you guys are so stupid for believing in a higher power and believing in a greater good when it's like no it is part of it is part of the human experience to try to look for mm-hmm. a greater good and a greater meaning to life and to try to, you know, have a moral compass and, and, val- and certain values to live your life to. And religion really functions as that. And also, you know, Karl, Net- Karl Marx said religion is the opiate of the masses, not in that, oh, it is so bad and no one should do it, but in that it is a way to alleviate the pain and suffering of capitalism. It is a way to try to build community in the individualist hellhole that is this capitalism, you know? When you can tell yourself that the hardships that you go through are part of God's plan for a better future, it helps alleviate the suffering that you are experiencing. Yeah, or or even the belief that, like, that you're going to be rewarded in the afterlife, that the struggles that you go through today are going to be rewarded later. It is what keeps you going like through that struggle like i mean the reason why so many like catholic peasants in the medieval Mm -hmm. and during the renaissance and you know high renaissance and before the renaissance (laughs) uh in europe were so devoutly catholic beyond just the fact that if you weren't catholic you would die um was the idea that like even though i am poor now even though every single day i live it is suffering and pain every child that i miscarry or every child that i have will die within the first 10 years of his life even Mm -hmm. if that is all true jesus said that those who are meek and those who are poor and those who suffer during life will will experience the full joy and fruitfulness of heaven is what can push you through right like when jesus says that it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into uh heaven like jesus is ultimately saying that those who suffer now will reap their rewards later but i think that a lot of what um sort of like like liberation theology from both black american people and like latin american people who are catholic or christian will use is that you know like because god is because jesus is, a, is was a was a working class like jew within under under roman mm-hmm. society who you know revolted against the, the the wealth and and class difference and and gendered violence that occurred all around him all the time like 
his, you know, his identity and his ability to, to liberate people from the oppression of the of of the Romans, uh, of the Jewish people was, you know, it's it, that is what is so that is the liberation of of the love of Jesus Christ. That is that is the there's freedom in that there's freedom and joy and community within that when within the the acknowledgement of our collective suffering within the acknowledgement and and the support that we provide for each other in our offerings to each other and to god uh mm-hmm. and in that that is what i think you know Christ, like that's what christianity ha- that's why it's so like prevalent beyond the political entities and structures and and, be- and benefits of how it you know it is tied up with imperialism fundamentally but i think like the reason why people in the global south and and poor and oppressed people have always connected with the idea of jesus and the idea of a savior and the idea of of liberation is that we are all looking for something to liberate us from the struggle of of our lives well people- yes but like that's that came a bit later because like Catholicism was like forced onto Latin America. And if you did not convert, you were killed and starved. No, I mean like right now. Exiled. I mean right now and within oh, the past hundred like, years. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was gonna say like that's a, a recent no recent development in like but also Protestant, Protestantism was Protestantism was the reason why it even exists is because it was trying to you know Martin Luther was trying to rebel against the absolute like the absolute tyranny of of money within the Catholic Church and how priests yeah. were like fucking playboys meanwhile people were starving but putting all their life savings into getting a literal ticket to heaven you know like which that, is literally televangelism now. now yeah buy uh, this bible call this number talk buy our news pamphlet and then you can find jesus and find god and love and light like fuck you fuck and like buying miracles you yes know? uh i remember very vivid memory i remember exactly where i was i was it was in fifth grade in elementary school obviously because that's when fifth grade happens and we were supposed to be work. me and like a group of students we were supposed to be working on literally anything else besides what this conversation was and I was like fighting for my motherfucking life that Catholics were Christian and they were like no Catholics aren't Christian Catholic or something else and I was like mother you dumb motherfucker I wasn't saying this sentiment was you dumb motherfucker Christian is like Christ the whole thing the whole coot and caboodle okay it's kit and caboodle and then there's Protestants and Catholics and other denominations but like that's the big one and then you have like denominations within yeah. those like you have different kinds of it's a fucking umbrella kind term of you idiots like and still to this day still to this day from fifth grade to now i still hear people saying i'm not christian i'm catholic or something of the sort separating catholicism from christianity and nothing chaps my hides more from when i identified as a protestant which was because i was told to to being like oh, i'm not sure to now being like whatever whatever yeah. but it's still one of my biggest pet peeves is when people think that christianity is just protestantism and catholicism is like something not christian yeah anyways that was a bit of a tangent on its own but i just needed our listeners to know i think our listeners are smarter than that i don't think any of our listeners have made <laughs> that mistake but if you this is your time to learn if yes. it's never clicked before yes this is the moment. This kind of uh, moves us to the next part of our podcast where we recommend yeah. media to each other because I have... I'm recommending to all of you being less dumb and Sunny and I are now going to recommend to each other exactly. a different piece of media. 
like so this is our conversation about uh christianity and catholicism and everything really made me lead really led me to think i haven't recommended to you anything like fantasy or sci-fi or historical fiction yet because those i feel like are less accessible genres for people who aren't necessarily like like avid readers like you know so i haven't tried to but now i think i'm going to move you in this direction because this book is very good and it really deals with a lot of the things that we've been talking about today and it's called lent by joe walton uh joe walton is a sci-fi writer she is uh, she's amazing she's won a bunch of different awards like nebula hugo like if you know anything about the sci-fi literary genre you know those are huge fucking awards she's won them all and she uh, I- i've read a lot of her books and i think they're great and lent in particular is very awesome because it takes the takes the true life story of a priest during the renaissance like during the medici era whatever another this shout guy, out yeah, no, shout out to you. No, um, this you. guy who <laughs> actually existed, who was a priest. I'm forgetting his fucking name, but anyway, this guy who actually existed was a priest during this time in during during the Medici era in like Venice and Italy and whatever. He said that he could see demons and he could banish them from places. So he went around being like, "Oh, there's a fucking demon. Let me kill that demon, I guess," or whatever the fuck priest did then. So basically, this story is a retelling of this priest uh, as someone who actually could. See demons and like what it would actually be like for a priest during this time to do that and uh how he communicates with god and like how but the thing is is that this book takes a very interesting look at it because um we i don't want to spoil anything but something that's really important to the structure of the story is that this dude this priest kind of travels through time he gets sent to hell every couple chapters and gets sent back into life at the same spot where he is now taking on a different role but as himself like it's very weird it's very speculative it's very weird and crazy and i it's just very bizarre but it's also so such an interesting look at what like you know what what life was like under under like ca- the catholic church's the height of the Catholic Church's rule and the way that this priest navigates the, the, the world of, um, you know, like Rome and, you know, and uh, the, the setting that just feels so vibrant, but also the religious mysticism of it. Like, I, I feel like lots of different religions are treated with the mystical aura of um, colonialism of like, oh, voodoo, ah, like, you know, scary Hindu, you know, like, yeah, there's like, this stupid really like that. funny tiktok series i don't know by who but it was like if horror movies treated christianity the way yeah that like indigenous spirituality yeah and it's very funny yeah very very funny exactly so this book... i remember they like sorry but they framed like jesus as a zombie and it yeah. was very funny <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then he came back from the dead yeah Ooh, Ooh, so scary. scary yeah no so this book really takes that mysticism to that to the next level by by literally like fetishizing and reimagining uh this his the history of something um in a very interesting way and this kind of reminds me of the other book i recommended to you last week which i think was nama by sarah blake um which is a retelling of noah's ark and from that a was in the last episode you haven't yes recommend- you recommended it to me before the podcast in the podcast but it hasn't been publicized so oh okay okay so in the lost episode so yeah it reminds me of nama in that it's again like a religious almost retelling that 
really takes a takes a takes it to a fantastical magical level that is so fucking funny and i think you would really enjoy it you can find me on twitter with where i talk about not only books but also the the crazed hysteria that is my mind every day as well as you know like my political ramblings and my opinions on media and what my funny little hateful interactions with the renaissance on twitter um you can find me there at a sunny book nook you can also find me on youtube as a sunny book nook okay I have a question because yes. I don't know if you've seen it before or not. Have you seen Sister Act? No. <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay. But I, I've had friends who like have been in the show and stuff. Like have done it. Yes, but have you seen the movie Sister Act? No. Because the play I think is a little bit different from the movie. No. Okay. Then, then this is my recommendation. I had backups if you hadn't seen, if, or if you had seen Sister Act. Sister Act is a great, fun musical. It has Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Maggie Smith, Dame Maggie Smith. And Whoopi Goldberg is a, like, cabaret singer, failed, famous person. Uh, like, Attempts for Stardom is fully an adult going is she middle-aged by now? She might be She might be middle-aged by now. Middle-aged woman singing in, like, rundown casinos in Reno. Not, not Las Vegas, in Reno. And she's kind of the side piece to this big, like, casino mongol. And she witnesses a, uh, a gang-related crime in terms of with her boyfriend, the head of the casino. And so she is taken by the police and put into witness protection program in order to protect her for the trial so that she can uh, testify against her boyfriend. And in waiting, they put her in witness protection program in this Catholic church, in this convent uh, in San Francisco. And she takes on the identity of a nun. And Maggie Smith is like the head nun of the church. And so while she's there waiting for the trial, she uses her like because she's like a real person like she's lived a real life she they like while she's there she kind of like redoes the church and like revamps it and it goes from this rundown no congregation uh like unorganized it's just a bunch of old white nuns to yeah. like this really inviting and welcoming space um for like the community around it and actually like making the church a figure of the community and it kind of like shows her journey and there's great musical numbers it's great it really I saw it when I was a kid and it really fed into my uh, what would be an ongoing obsession with nuns I love nuns if anyone knows me knows that I love nuns and uh this 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 was really fundamental in that also there's Sister Act 2 and Sister Act 2 like popular well-known movie within the black community and that's what the song well i don't know if, if i don't think that's the original song but a very popular rendition of the song oh happy days comes from sister act two like obviously there's the song but then like the sister act two version is like that's oh happy days um but to, and also i think i think hold on i don't want to speak out of turn let me look this up because if it is who i think it is then I'm a genius. Yes, I was right. Lauren Hill is in Sister Act too, mm. uh, and Back in the Habit is the full name. Uh, and 
so yeah but i i really like the first sister act um so yeah that is my recommendation also sorry before we round out the rest of the episode going back to the middle part talking about yes god yes the trifecta like it the the things that yes god yes reminds me of uh but i'm a cheerleader obviously right uh, novitiate yes and then shiva baby yeah i think if you took those three movies put them in a blender yeah. you would get yes yeah. god yes for sure for like sure. very like once i i had i had the uh but I'm a cheerleader, novitiate, and then I think you mentioned like Shiva Baby, but I wasn't. I was like, whatever. And then once it really, yeah. really all clicked together in my brain, I was like, yes, that yeah. movie is a combination of for all sure. three of those for sure. So for any of our listeners, if you like any of those movies, any of those three, but I'm a cheerleader, novitiate, or Shiva Baby, which you all to be a listener, you have to love Shiva Baby. That's yeah. a necessity. Yeah. Um, then you will like, yes, God, yes. Then my second one, this is in passing. This is an inaccessible recommendation because it's a play that is not recorded anywhere. Right, listeners? Exactly. (laughs) So I have seen this play for reasons that will not be disclosed. And it is called St. Joan. And it was originally written in... 1927 or something uh-huh. but then it was redone in like 2017 and it's the story of Joan of Arc obviously uh-huh. St. Joan and but it takes place it's like both modern and not in that it takes place in one room and it's a CEO's office and it uses like technology like there's big there's this big screen and the like news is going uh-huh. like like the newsreels and stuff like that look very modern and we talk about things like the gdp and all these things it's like plot points and like global economics but then the story and what they're talking about is like appropriate to the time of the actual joan of arc of like what was happening then so it's this melding of like medievalness and modernity in one play um that's like I think really well done very interesting it makes it relatable and like emotionally accessible while still staying true to the text and the reason why I found out that this play existed was because one of my favorite actresses I believe I've mentioned her on this podcast before Gemma Arterton not Claire Foy I was doing the recommend I've recommended two things with Claire Foy so I really need to backpedal on that but Gemma Arterton plays Joan of Arc and she's really good in it but I wouldn't know that because I didn't see it but um if I had seen it I would know that she was really good right, 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 right the thing you did not watch illegally at all yeah exactly yeah the but bootleg so film that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah so if anyone somehow has access to a time machine and totally yeah. doesn't dm me for the Google Drive file that I don't have, then <laughs> I'm so sorry. You will never totally be able to watch this play. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can DM Renaissance at where? At uh, Renaissance with an X. Instead of an E. N-A-I-S-S-A-N-C-E. There is the last E, but the first E is an X. Yeah. And my, my display name is now Renaissance Marie. It has been, so you'll, you'll yeah. know that it's me. 
you'll know that it's them. My, I already plugged my social, well, my Instagram is at Sunny with the camera. Because I'm a photographer. Oh my gosh, I'm a photographer. I'm an artist. Did you know? Did you know? Yeah, so you should. I mean, I know. Follow me. Yeah, I don't know if my our listeners knew my the extent of my 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 many talents. My you know, well, <laughs> <laughs> and my Instagram is at Renaissance Marine. But I, I gotta be honest with you, folks. It's pretty dry over there. Pretty dry. You should follow us on Twitter. It's so true. At you the should Lavender and Pod. you should follow yeah. Lavender Pod. Both of our Twitter handles are in that bio. So if you go there, you'll be able to follow both of us easily. Yes. From exactly. there. We love our fans. We love our we fans. do. We love interacting with you all. You you guys have make great tweets. Love exactly. seeing them. Someone recently bought or no, they checked out the divines from their library because yeah. of our podcast. Yeah. That was super cool to see. Yeah. Our impacts, really. I really hope they like how embarrassing if like people don't like the divides and like it's a tenant of this podcast. Yeah, that would suck. Well that but it won't mean that they're they don't have taste. Book. Exactly. Our listeners are people with taste, and if you have taste, then you like the divines. Exactly. It's just the truth. So exactly. Okay, well that's all for today, folks. That's Bye. the episode. Bye.